makes you wonder what they're laughing about. That's tremendous. Thanks so much. Yeah, Church Planners Summit coming up uh, in early October. Such a delight every year to welcome uh, folks from all over the world as well as around the United States who we're partnering with to plant new churches as God's great mission, the good news of Jesus, goes forward in all of the world. It's a great privilege. I think one of the best hosting stories I heard was from our women's director, Dana Nicewander, the Nicewanders that agreed to host. And you just, you know, these planners come in from all over, you're not quite sure, and you get to know some people. And there was a young guy that was planning a church in Manhattan. We were helping support that. It was this young guy named Tim Keller. And so there he's just hanging out with them at the house, you know. So you just don't know how the Lord is going to be at work. And so thank God for his great mercies and kindness to each and every one of us. I'd I'd like for you to turn with me to Galatians chapter five. And we're gonna begin a a little bit of a new section here as Paul transitions from part of his conversation about what what it means to live as a believer, somebody that's been apprehended by the gospel of Jesus through the gift of the Holy Spirit as the Spirit comes to bring Christ to us through the gospel. He's noted, of course, these two subversive enemies of the gospel. On the one hand, legalism that says God doesn't accept you unless you perform. It's, uh, it's, you gotta pass the test. Here's the behavior. You gotta check all the boxes. And, and if you are good enough, he'll let you in. And that's, that's really religion uh, globally, in so many different ways. The Christian faith is utterly and completely different from that. It's utterly contrary to it. It says that we are accepted before God, not because of anything we have done, but on the basis of what Christ has done for us at the cross, solely, exclusively. That is the basis of our relationship with God. Jesus Christ shed his blood to forgive our sins, but he came not only to take away the guilt and the shame associated with our sin, but to liberate us from it. So the, the, other, the other subversive enemy of the gospel is this notion that grace then is a license to live as you please, just to do whatever you want. But of course, that's not true either. That's just another form of slavery, of slavery to self. And so how can both of these be moved aside, kept out of the center of our new life in Christ? How do we live free? So Paul calls living free, uses an important phrase to describe that, walking in step with the Spirit. Walking in the Spirit, which sounds a little bit mystical, but uh, I hope we can kind of take some of the mystical aspect of the way that sounds out of it, get kind of practical, and talk about what it means to be followers of Jesus And here in Galatians chapter five, let's pick it up in verse 16, and we're gonna read through verse 18, just a few verses together. So I say, walk by the Spirit, and you will not gratify the desires of the flesh. For the flesh desires what is contrary to the Spirit, and the Spirit what is contrary to the flesh. They are in conflict with each other so that you are not to do whatever you want. But if you are led by the Spirit, you are not under the law. So neither legalism nor licentiousness become the dominant characteristics of our life, but rather 
walking in the Spirit. Won't you pray with me? Lord, we thank you that you send the Holy Spirit to us to communicate to us the goodness and the beauty of Jesus. Would you make him even larger in our gaze this day? And we thank you for it. Thank you for the transforming love you've bestowed on our lives. In Jesus' name, amen. In her remarkable book, Gay Girl, Good God, Jackie Hill Perry writes, who gave mercy my address? Or told it how to get to my room? Didn't it know a sinner lived in it? On the way down the hall, shouldn't the smell of my idols kept its feet from moving any closer? And then I remembered the one verse of the Bible that I knew by heart. For God so loved the world that he gave his only son that whoever believes in him should not perish but have everlasting life. Who gave mercy my address? Mercy has sought us. The mercy of God has sought us out. The mercy of God has come to us to make us new. Our relationship with God is not based on something we have done. It is based on what God has done for us in Christ. That God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son that whoever, whoever believes in him would not perish but have everlasting life. And God was not finished. No, he poured out his Holy Spirit upon us so that Christ might dwell within us. Religion says do better. Religion says here's the list. And if you are good enough, maybe in the end you'll get in. But grace, grace says that the thunder of the law's penalty has been silenced in the blood of Christ. And then grace sends the Holy Spirit into our lives to give us not only new hearts, like the prophets of the Old Testament said, that God said, I will give you a new heart. I'll take out your heart of stone. I'll give you a heart of flesh. And I'll write my laws across your heart and I'll take away all of your iniquity. So the Holy Spirit comes and gives us a whole new way of living. If you break out these three verses, they're really, it's a pretty simple structure. Verse 16, he says, we're to walk in the spirit. Walk by the spirit, he says, and then you won't fulfill the desires of the flesh. You gotta get your steps in. I don't know how many you got on your pedometer already this morning. I don't know how many steps you have to get in every day. I've got my goal set. You may see me wandering the streets of Boca as I get my, as I get my steps in. But then we find out in the next verse that this walk that we're called to is not a stroll. It's in fact a walk through a battlefield. It says in verse 17 that what we're in is a fight. Verse 17, the flesh desires what is contrary to the spirit. The spirit what is contrary to the flesh. They are in conflict with each other so that you will not do whatever you want. So there's a conflict that we're involved in. And he's talking to those of us who are believers. And we have to be absolutely clear about this. It's a fight that we're in. It does not mean when you become a Christian that all of the, the sin that we have felt captive to, all the temptations which have been raging within us, all of the habit patterns of envy, malice, and greed, all of those attitudes are, are suddenly done away with and they don't exist anymore. That's not the case. You discover that you still are in a battle, what Paul calls a 
conflict between the spirit on the one hand and the flesh on the other. Now, when you hear flesh, you probably just instantaneously go over to, oh, drink too much, eat too much, too much sex, all that kind of stuff. But the word flesh is not about your body. It's a different word for body, soma. This is sarks, and it's more often than not referring to the totality of our fallen nature, every aspect of our life, whether it's physical or psychological, emotional, volitional, all of those aspects of our life which are out of accord with God's will. So greed, envy, unforgiveness, bitterness, even false religious practices, all of these things are then going to be listed by Paul in the next few verses. These are the works of the flesh. So it's not just a question of checking the box and saying, well, I don't drink too much. You know, I, 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 I'm not having an affair. Um, I, I'm, not, I'm not a glutton, check, check, check. But man, I just, I hate people. But I can, it's, it's all good. It's all good. No, 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 not at all. This conflict you see that we're in is conflict between that, that fallenness that's within us that remains and the Holy Spirit who's come to dwell within us. And they are in conflict with each other, he says, so that you won't do what you want to do. Now, there's differences among commentators. Some commentators say that fight's going on so you won't do what you want to do. The Spirit's trying to keep you from doing what you want to do. And, and then other commentators say, well, no, what's going on is the, the, the fallen nature is, 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 is fighting so that you won't do what the Spirit wants you to do. And you go, well, which is it? And the answer is yes. It's both. And so this battle is raging within us. And no matter what battles you think in history have made all the difference, whether it's Stalingrad or Iwo Jima or Midway or D-Day or the Battle of Tours or the Battle of Vienna or Thermopylae, you can list all of the great battles in human history. There is no conflict of greater consequence than the battle for your soul because that has eternal consequence. And so it's important for us to remember, brothers and sisters, that we have been given a great destiny to be conformed to the image of Jesus. That's the end of what God is doing in our life. He will conform us to the image of his son. Paul wrote that in Romans chapter eight. He says, he says that Christ is the first of many brothers in the family. You and I are to be conformed to the image of Christ. So what's going on is the Holy Spirit. When you become a believer, the Holy Spirit comes into our lives and begins a deep and profound work of transformation that touches every single aspect of our lives. But we struggle every single day knowing that while we're moving towards that end that Paul said is something God will do and perfect, that we are currently in a battle. We're currently in a fight. We fail. There are times in the battlefield we fall. We're learning to walk in the Spirit. So what does it mean to learn to walk in the Spirit? Well, I think first of all, it means to learn. I mean, if you see a, 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 little, a little, you know, little child just taking its first few steps and, and, and it tumbles over, you don't hear the parents go, get up, try again. Get on with it. Come on, drop and give me 20. That isn't gonna get it done. That's not the way it goes. No, no, no. Grand, grandpa and grandma over there, they got it. They're videotaping this. Baby tumbles over, goes on Instagram. They're cheering on the failure. 
and going, he's gonna, one of these days, it's gonna be run, forest run. I mean, just no stopping him. That's where this is headed. You and I are learning to walk and we're going to fail. Let's see the hand, no, let's not, of everybody who failed this week. Of course we fail. We're failing as we rise, we're failing as we breathe, but we are kept by mercy. Mercy knows our address. And if you say, but I'm, I'm struggling with this. This is, this is where I am right now. I don't know that I really am a Christian. Many people struggle with things so deeply they wonder if they're still Christians. Jackie Hill Perry, many others would tell you that when they became Christians, it didn't overnight mean a transformation in their desires and the orientation of their desire or their passions. The same would be true for somebody who's bound up in any other kinds of areas. It doesn't necessarily mean an instantaneous change in their passions and desires, in fact, their passions and desires, they have to learn to crucify. And yet she goes on to write, we are not what our temptations say about us. We are what Christ has done for us. So if you look at your own life and you look in the mirror and you go, oh man, oh man, if I, these things about me, the, the, the anger, the, the bitterness, the unforgiveness, the passions and the desires, the selfish ambition, all of these things, which I know, I know that they're there. I know God is not pleased with those things. Maybe, maybe I'm not really a believer. Well, let me tell you, you're in good company. The apostle Paul wrote these words. Although I want to do good, evil is right there with me. In, our, in my inner being, I delight in God's law, but I see another law at work in me, waging war against the law of my mind and making me a prisoner of law, the law of sin at work within me. What a wretched man I am. Wretched is such a cool word. Amazing grace, how sweet the sound that saved a wretch like me. No, wretch is not a word that's in our everyday vocabulary anymore. Maybe we should add it back in. Like all this next week when people say to you, how you doing? Wretched. <laughs> Wretched, but loved. Awesome. People, can you imagine the looks? But wretched really does describe the state of who we are. And that's absolutely critical to know because if we're not honest about it, we can start to put on this kind of air of spirituality and act like everything's fine. It's not. Look around. No, don't, don't, don't. Okay. But listen to what Paul continues to say. Who will rescue me from this body of death? Thanks be to God who delivers me through Jesus Christ our Lord. And then listen to the next sentence. There is therefore now no condemnation to those who are in Christ Jesus. So while we are aware of our wretchedness, we are also profoundly aware of the powerful truth of the promise of the gospel. My friends, the gospel gives us an entirely new identity. This is how we learn to walk. The promise of the gospel, you see it here in verse 16, walk by the Spirit. Walk by the Spirit. Well, how, how does the Holy Spirit come to be in our lives? The Holy Spirit, people, people um, really don't think much or 
talk enough about the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit, the third person of the Trinity, Father, Son, Holy Spirit. People don't know what to do with the Holy Spirit. I've even heard people refer to the Holy Spirit as it. Have you, have you got it? Uh, or, or kind of like an impersonal, you know, may the force be with you or something like that. But the, but the Holy Spirit is the executive agent of the Holy Trinity. The Father made plans in all eternity. The Son accomplished that plan in history 2,000 years ago. But the Holy Spirit takes what the Father planned and the Son accomplished, and he brings it to you right now. He makes it existentially yours. He makes it your experience right now. He makes Jesus real to you, my friends. That's what's happening. If it weren't for the Holy Spirit, you'd have no Bible. If it weren't for the Holy Spirit, you would, you would not know Jesus except as a person in history. Oh, he lived long ago, but the Holy Spirit takes this person in the pages of the book and he makes him real and beautiful and spectacular to you and gives you this gospel identity. You see, the gospel tells us that we are right with God, again, not on the basis of our performance, whether it's good or bad. It tells us that we are God's beloved despite our badness. You see, when God saved you, he didn't look at, your, he didn't look at you, he didn't look at me and go, oh, there's a good one. Let's go get him. I, I honestly think that many Christians still believe, listen, I think many Christians still believe that the gospel comes to make good people better. And so you meet people that you think are nice and good and you go, oh, come to church. It'll make your life better. But the gospel does not come. Jesus did not come to make good people better. He came to make dead people alive. The gospel didn't come to give you a second chance. It came to give you a whole new heart, a whole new life. This is what Christ has done. He makes wicked, wait for it, wretched people new. Amazing grace. How sweet the sound that saved a wretch like, like me. This means that we can get out of what I'll just call the first date way of living. Now, what do I mean by that? Well, here's what I mean. We don't want people to really know what's down inside of us, even if we know what's down inside of us, even if we got a clue of what's really down inside of us. We wouldn't want anybody else to know what's really in us. Because here's what we think. If people knew who I really was, what was really going on down inside of me, my racism, my hate, my fear, my anxieties, my depression, if people really knew what was happening down inside of me, my lusts, my pride, all of those things, if they really knew knew, then they wouldn't love me. And so we first date it. We get dressed up, we put on the makeup, we put on the shine, we put on the smile to somehow commend ourselves to others, hoping they will love us. But beloved, when God saved you, when he did call you, when you came to Christ and you stood before him for the first time, God didn't go, oh my gosh, they're really bad. I had no idea. Throw them back. That's not what happened. God is not surprised. 
I've said before to you, God is not disillusioned with us. He had no illusions to begin with. And so we stand before him. Perfectly, listen to this, perfectly known. And perfectly, simultaneously, perfectly loved. Loved. You are, yes, broken, but loved. To be encountered with the gospel is to discover, as Tim Keller put it, that you are more sinful than you could imagine and yet more loved than you ever dared hope. We are the objects of God's love and mercy. That is what the scriptures are telling us. When he saved Israel, he told Israel, I, I, when I chose you, I didn't choose you because you were greater than all the other nations. In fact, you were, you were at the bottom. You were a nobody. You were nothing. I simply loved you. Friends, we are loved in our brokenness. And God has saved us and he will not let us go. And that means we can get real about this next thing, the presence of sin. Verse 17, the flesh desires what is contrary to the spirit. That's our experience. And the spirit, what is contrary to the flesh. There's an aspect of us that is set in conflict, going against what the Holy Spirit wants, the will of God in our lives. It, it erupts in us in various ways and at various times, sometimes unexpectedly. Luther had a great phrase for this, simul justus et peccator. Let's all say that. No, let's not. Okay. It's a wonderful Latin phrase. And here's what it means. You are right with God, just, but simultaneously sinful. At the same time, just and sinful. That conflict is going on. God came to Cain in that ancient story in Genesis. Cain distressed, depressed, angry over the fact that God honored Abel's sacrifice but refused his own. And he was angry at God and he was angry at his brother, <coughs> his brother Abel. And God said to him, sin is crouching at your door. It desires to have you, but you must rule over it. Sin is crouching. Sin is a predatory animal. The original crouching tiger hidden dragon. But my friends, if you've been touched by the gospel, then you can get real about what's inside of us. He says you must master it, but you can't master it if you don't acknowledge it. If you don't go, you know what? That's really true about me. My desires often are messed up. The word that he uses here for desires is super desires. The basic passions, the things that drive our lives. And we gotta stop lying to ourselves about the dragon. I'm not greedy, I'm just productive. I'm not judgmental, I just have high standards. I'm not a gossip, I just share burdens with others for prayer. I'm not stingy, I'm just prudent. I'm not envious, I'm just competitive. I'm not unforgiving, I just think there needs to be justice. I'm not into porn, my legitimate needs just aren't being met. And we go on justifying the dragons 
instead of confessing the dragons. Because when we confess them, we discover something else, that the Spirit is within us. The Holy Spirit is there to help us. The self-justifying lies we tell ourselves undermine the gospel, but when we confess the reality that the sin is real, that the conflict is real, that's when the Holy Spirit then shows up and he does something very powerful. He goes on to say here in this text, look at the power of the Holy Spirit. The Spirit is set against the flesh. These are in conflict with each other. And he says so in verse 18, if you're led by the Holy Spirit. What is the Holy, then you're not under the law. What does the Holy Spirit do? Well, when Jesus taught about the Holy Spirit, he said, here's the work of the Holy Spirit. Here's the job. The Holy Spirit has come to glorify me. And you go, well, that's a really a bit egocentric there, Jesus. That's a little narcissistic. No, not at all. Because the vision we need in our souls is the vision of him. You sang it at the start of the service. Be thou my vision, O Lord of my heart. Not be all else to me, save that thou When Jesus becomes the vision of our heart, then our desires shift and are changed. And we suddenly realize that the beauty and the wonder of who Jesus is diminishes all the other competitive gods and idols and passions that demand our attention and try to seduce us to get our obedience. No, no, no. Jesus is so beautiful that everything else fades. The problem is not with desire. It's that our desire is disordered and sent the wrong way. In his sermon, The Weight of Glory, C.S. Lewis said, it would seem that our Lord finds our desires not too strong but too weak. We are half-hearted creatures fooling about with drink and sex and ambition when infinite joy is offered us, we are like ignorant children who want to go on making mud pies in a slum because we cannot imagine what is meant by the off offer of a vacation, a holiday by the sea. We are too easily pleased. Too easily pleased. It's not that our passions and desires are too strong. It's that they're too weak. They haven't been captured by the supreme beauty, the glory, the majesty, the wonder of who Jesus is. That's what the Holy Spirit does. The Holy Spirit shines the light of eternity on Jesus. The Holy Spirit doesn't just shine the light on the darkness that's in us. The Holy Spirit shines the light on the beauty of Jesus so that seeing him, we run towards him. We desire him. We want him. That becomes the the object, the supreme object of our desire, and we want him above all other things. I first saw Tony on the 4th of July, and it was in England, but we still had fireworks. When I saw her, I was only 19. Now, I just was smitten, but I knew being only 19, I had no shot. Talk about punning beyond your coverage. There she was. And I just said, well, Lord, you know, I know I can't get married till I'm 25. I mean, you know, that's the way the thing works. So, you know, uh, 
but when I'm 25, could I have one of that model, please? Oh, man. And it's a good thing. You know, we got married the next year. We don't tell that story to most people. We were way too young. Please do what I say, not what I do. But it was a good thing. God had mercy on me. When I was 25, all my hair was gone. I'd have never gotten her. But when I saw her, when I saw her, that was it. And if a wife says to her husband, why do you love me? Guys, first of all, that's really one of the most dangerous questions <laughs> any woman can ever ask you. Why do you love me? I, um, oh, 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 oh. Now, and I'm going to give you some answers which are not the right answer. Okay. Oh, oh, well, you have a beautiful figure. Or, oh, the, the meals you make. Oh, my gosh. The home you create. The business you're running. Just pouring money into the retirement account. I love you, baby. I love you. Every one of those answers sound kind of cool at the outset, but deep down, then the question becomes, well, wait a minute, what if, what if when I'm older I gain weight? And what if, what if I'm sick? And what if the house is a mess? And what if I'm not a good mother when my children turn 15? Because that is what happens. They turn 15 and you become a terrible parent for 10 years and then you recover. <laughs> You're better at it then. But for like 10 years, you just suck at it. It's terrible. It's terrible. Terrible parent. 15 to 25, right there. When the kids are that age, you're just not, not good at it. What happens, if, what happens if the business fails and you can't put the money in? Then what? Maybe he won't love me anymore. The right answer. Why do you love me? Uh, I just love you, because I love you. I love you, because I love you. Why does God love us? Why does God call us his bride? He loves us. Because he loves us. That's it. And he, he died to make us his own. And he loves us despite our failures and knowing we're going to blow it. And the scriptures say that he who began a good work in you will perfect it to the day of Jesus. We're going to be a bride, spotless. It's going to be glorious and holy. We're invited to the marriage supper of the Lamb. That's where we're going. And you go, yeah, but man, right now I stink. Yeah, you do. So do I. And we're loved. How can it be? My friends, this is your identity. Our desires, our desires that are sinful are met by the beauty of who Jesus is. That's what's transformational. You know what's transformational? Not a whole bunch of rules. Do this, do this, do this, do this. Then you'll be a, listen, listen, listen. Stop listening to sermons that tell you the seven steps to the victorious life. They don't work. They don't work. 
You walk in the Spirit. You go, what does that mean? The Holy Spirit shows you the beauty of Jesus, revealed in the Scriptures, revealed in this supper. And you go, this is the one who died for me. This is the one who loved me. I desire him above all other desires. It's not about things that we do. It's about what he has done. It's not who we are. It's who he is. And when you, when you see his beauty, you will be satisfied with no other love and you will be able to say with the psalmist, whom have I in heaven but thee? And besides thee, I desire nothing on earth. Oh, my friends, Jesus is so worth it. How do we know he loves us? We forget. But so that we would always remember that he does love us, he gave us this supper. He gave us bread and he gave us wine. And he brings us back to this table and he says, don't forget. As often as you eat this bread and drink this cup, do it how? In remembrance. What's the remembrance? Are you supposed to sit there this morning and remember your sin? Yes, we should confess it. But then we have to remember his love and his mercy. Paul put it this way, where sin abounds, grace abounds all the more. This table is not a reward for the well-behaved. It is food and drink for the starving. Are you hungry today? Are you thirsty today? Then come to the table. Let's take a moment and pray. Confess our sins and trust his love and mercy. Who gave mercy my address? Would you just silently confess your need for Jesus? Lord, hear our prayer. You promised to forgive our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. And now we set aside this bread and this cup from common use unto sacred purpose. Pour out your spirit on us that we may see Jesus more beautiful and more spectacular than ever. And keep us ever in his love. Amen. On the night in which he was betrayed, our Savior took bread and when he had given thanks, he broke it. And he said, this is my body which is given for you. Do this, he said, in remembrance of me. In the same manner after supper, he took the cup. And he said, this cup is the new covenant in my blood, which is poured out for you and for many for the remission of sins. Drink from it, all of you. And this do, Jesus said, in remembrance of me. Friends, if you're not a Christian today, if you haven't given your heart to Jesus, then don't eat or drink. If you sense those passions within and you go, yeah, I don't, actually, I don't want to serve Jesus, then don't eat or drink. But if you're a Christian today who knows that despite the conflict and despite the battles that rage, you're desperate for him and you want him to meet with you. You're hungry and you're thirsty for righteousness. Hear his promise. Blessed are all those who hunger and thirst for righteousness. They shall be filled. Then I want you with a thankful heart to eat and drink. So if that's you, friends, the body of Christ, which is given for you, take and eat with a thankful heart. And the blood of Christ, which is shed for you, which forgives all of our sins, and through the Holy Spirit is the ground by which we are made a new creation. The blood of Christ shed for you, take and drink with thankful hearts, amen.
This is the Lord's doing and marvelous in our eyes. How great is the Savior's love for us. All hail King Jesus. All hail Emmanuel, the risen one who loves us, will come again for us. Let's stand and give him glory. <laughs>